ministry in the past and be a part. Maybe you have a heart for a year and we serve a, a wonderful dinner and then we talk a little bit about what God has for us in the coming year of ministry. And so we're looking forward to, to all of that tonight at 5.30. We've started 2018 with the basics of God's plans for our lives. And in week one, uh, we talked about continuing in worship. Because no matter what we do, we're to bring glory to God. Then we address continuing in fellowship. Because you can't do the Christian life on your own. You need to know and be known. In week three, we discussed continuing in discipleship. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And it's been so encouraging to see uh, many new discipleship relationships that have formed over these last few weeks. And if you'd like to work one-on-one -on -one with a mentor uh, this spring during this season, please mark that on your bulletin tear-off so that we can partner you with the right person. Last week, we saw continue in evangelism. Our hearts should be moved by the souls around us because those souls move the heart of God. And he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for sinners, which includes all of us. Now, this morning we're headed to Hebrews as we finish up the Continue series. Hebrews chapter 13. And while you turn there, uh, let me talk to you just a little bit about next Sunday, the first Sunday in February. And starting next Sunday in our 9.30 hour, we are starting two new tracks uh, along with our current life groups. Pastor Cole will be teaching class 301, Discovering Church Ministry, in the first classroom down the hall. So if you've taken 101 and 21, but you haven't taken 301, this is a great opportunity for you to take that. And if you just would like a refresher course on 301, Discovering Church Ministry, and a spiritual gifts inventory, and all the things that go with that, uh, please do that. Right in this room, I will be teaching a four-week class uh, called Defending Your Faith. And it's an apologetics course. It's going to get into some pretty good detail, and we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, I hope you can come 930 uh, on the Sunday mornings in February. In our 11 o'clock service, we're starting a series next week called A Good Minister from 1 Timothy. And uh, you say, well, is that just for men? No, that's for everybody. We're all called to be good ministers of Jesus Christ. And remember that February 18th is Public Servants Day. And we're going to have flyers available for you the next two Sundays so that you can invite firemen and police, paramedics, nurses, doctors, and others, along with uh, public servants from the cities here in our area, Caldwell, Nampa, Notice, Middleton, Parma, all over the place, yeah, as, as some of our county officials and some of our state officials. Many of you uh, will be asked by the deacons to help with the banquet for the public servants right after the service that day. This year we're doing a pulled pork meal, and so pretty easy stuff, uh, but we need your help to do that. We also, in February, have one of my favorite works, weeks of the year. It's called Serve Week, and we have Love Works projects every day of the week. And if you have an idea for a Love Works project uh, where you can go out in the community and do something with six, eight, ten people, uh, then please let our staff know, and we'd actually be willing to let you head one up. Okay, we, we do great projects every year, and we're looking forward uh, that Sunday, February 11th, 
to handing out the projects and to seeing what God's going to do in the community this year through Serve Week. And so looking forward to it. Don't miss that. Okay, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And let's read the first eight verses here this morning. Let brotherly love continue. For all of you Philadelphia Eagle fans, that verse may or may not apply to you. Okay, some of you are taking that as, hey, this must be the year for the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. And you're thinking, let brotherly love continue. God has placed his hand on the Eagles, right? And be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And today at our final continue message, let's talk about continuing in ministry. And it starts with this simple forward verse. Let brotherly love continue. You know, real ministry happens through real love. Service without love is just an empty exercise. And we're going to discover today that many people are involved in hollow, unfulfilling relationships because there's no authentic ministry going on in those relationships. The culture of our day cries out that relationships are supposed to be fulfilling to self, right? And if you aren't being pleased, it's okay to walk away from the relationship, right? That's, that's being shown to us in every place you can think, every form of entertainment, music, books. Yeah, it's being pushed down our throat that, hey, if you aren't being fulfilled in the relationship, it's okay to get out. But you know, Jesus goes exactly the opposite direction. And he tells us that relationships are about serving each other. And that serving is what brings the fulfillment. If you're not getting fulfillment in a relationship today, I can tell you the exact reason why. You aren't serving in that relationship. Now, there are exceptions to some of the rules, and we're not going to stray too far from that. We're going to stay right on the middle of the road here today. But I want to get to it. Let's talk, first of all, about serving strangers. Serving strangers. Such a peculiar verse. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For some have entertained angels unawares. Genesis 18 tells an incredible event in Abraham's life. One afternoon in the heat of the day, uh, three men showed up at his tent door, appearing out of nowhere. 
And Abraham ran out to meet them. And you might remember that he was 99 years old when he ran out to meet them. Right? How many of you are like uh, 45 and you feel like you couldn't run out to meet them? All right, I'm 45, so I'm raising my hand. <laughs> Can't run out to meet them. Uh, he ran to meet them and he bowed himself to the ground. He's a limber old guy, did yoga every day. And, and he didn't hesitate to care for them and, and show hospitality toward them. Uh, he had water brought for them to wash their feet from the road. He found them a shade tree to sit under. Uh, he had Sarah whip up some cakes. And, and he ran out to uh, fetch a calf from the herd so that he could whip up some veal steaks. And, and then he brought them out the meal with butter and milk. Butter for their cakes and milk to quench their thirst. Now, how many of you believe in butter? Right? You believe in butter. I mean, let me tell you this. Margarine will kill you, man. Right? God didn't create margarine. That's a chemically induced problem. Butter's the real deal, right? If you want something good in your life, get some butter. That'll preach, but... Uh, you, they, you know, there's even people now who put butter in their coffee. That's a thing right now, right? They put butter in their coffee because it's a good fat. And it makes your coffee taste incredible. How many of you have never tried butter in your coffee? You ain't never lived, people. Now, how many of you know about this butter in the coffee thing? You know about it? All right, if you really want to know about this, I want you to talk to Pam Gill. She is the author of Butter in the Coffee. She's known about it for a long time. It's a good thing. So Abraham comes out, and he's got cakes, which is kind of like cornbread probably, and probably cornbread with just a hint of sugar in it where it crumbles just right, and then the butter on top of it just kind of laying there, and it's kind of melting. And then the, and then the fatted calf has been killed, and a, just, just the right veal cut there and, and he's got the milk to wash it all down. I'm telling you what these angels had never experienced anything like this they'd only had heavenly food they hadn't had this kind of heavenly food and, and, and at this point Abraham he has no idea who these two guys uh, that two of the guys were the angels and the other guy was the Lord himself now you can read the chapter uh, for yourself in Genesis 18 to figure all that uh, out. We're not going to get into the theology of it this morning. Uh, here's the point. Abraham showed kindness to strangers without knowing their identities. And Hebrew 13, Hebrews 13 hits us with, let brotherly love continue. And then immediately it goes into strangers. Be ready and willing to serve strangers. It's interesting that the New Testament book of James addresses this. And it says, if you're meeting, you're assembling at a church meeting, and into your church assembly uh, walks a new person who is dressed in nice clothes with jewelry, and you do your best to connect with that person and serve that person, and in the same service, there's a poor person who walks in in vile garment and you basically ignore that person that you have missed the whole point of the Christian faith. 
God frowns upon prejudging people based on their outside appearance, based on what you think that person can do for you. God says we're supposed to treat other people like Jesus would, no matter how they look on the outside. You read through the Gospels and look at the people who Jesus ministered to. There were hardly any of them who looked like they were full of potential. Right? Blind, lame, messed up, tax collectors hated by society, fishermen who stunk all the time, even after a bath. Right? My grandfather was a dairy farmer, and even after he bathed for once or twice a week, he still smelled like the dairy. Right? He could walk out of the bath and walk in the room. You're like, whoa, dairy just walked in. Jesus ministered to fishermen who smelt constantly like fish and talked like hillbillies. And he loved them. And he cared for them. And it wasn't based on what he could get out of it. It was based on what he could put into it. You know, we have to have that same mindset. Because if we have respective persons... We are displeasing the very God of love. God wants us to serve strangers, whether they walk up to our tent door or whether we meet them somewhere in the community. We aren't called to judge strangers based on their appearance. We're called to serve them and connect them with God's love. And hospitality is such an important part of the believer's ministry. In fact, it's, it's one of the traits found in 1 Timothy 3, that is supposed to be found in the life of a minister. Yeah, that's coming up in our series in February. Hospitality goes beyond hosting strangers. It also deals with hosting acquaintances and friends. But you know, I believe New Testament hospitality always has a key ingredient. And here is the ingredient of all hospitality. Moving people toward Jesus Christ through serving them. Moving people toward Jesus Christ through serving them. Hospitality is a part of our ministry. And so it's interesting that Hebrews 13 hits that first. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Now let's move from serving strangers to serving people who definitely shouldn't be strangers. All right, the second group, serving spouses. Serving spouses. Now, Hebrews 13 has this sentence on marriage. Marriage is honorable. Knowing your spouse in an intimate way is God's plan. Serving your spouse through knowledge is part of God's plan for your relationship. Now, let's not shy away from the end of verse 4. I don't want you to think that I'm afraid to go there. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And you may want to remember that when you're condemning homosexuality. Whoremongers and adulterers, in God's eyes, are just as guilty. Just as much sinners. And sometimes we get on the high horse of Christianity of saying, well, we got to watch out for this, we got to watch out for that. And it may be a valid point, but listen, we need to clean house at our place first. 
whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. When you interact with another person beside your spouse in the way that you should only interact with a spouse, you are sinning against God. You're sinning against your spouse, and as we find in 1 Corinthians 6, you're sinning against yourself. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, that when you commit fornication, you are sinning against your own body. So we went far enough down that road, right? So you guys know I'm serious about it. Uh, but I don't want you to think we're skipping that section. So our focus today, though, is not on that. It's on serving your spouse. God designed marriage for man and woman to have a close friend who can help and meet needs. Genesis 2 is, is this great chapter in history. It expands the history of the sixth day of creation. God created Adam, and God concluded, after he created Adam, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. As God said this, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. So God designed and formed woman exactly and specifically to meet man's needs. Yeah, we could get onto all the definition of marriage and all about that this morning. But we understand that God made woman to meet man's needs in every way. And that God wants men to take the time to know and meet the needs of their wives. Now, generally speaking, and this is very general, but generally speaking, the top five needs of a woman. Okay? Uh, somebody shout out a couple general needs of a woman to me. Let's see if you get, get any of the top five. Okay? Who's, who's not afraid? Go ahead. Security. Okay, that's a big one. Love, yeah, affection, let's call it affection, okay? What is it? Quality time, yes, that's, that's a big one. Respect, definitely on the list. Communication, that's a big one. Okay, let me give you the top five in the general order, okay? Affection, communication, security, honesty, commitment. Generally speaking, those are the top five. There are women everywhere who would put a different top five on the list, and that's fine, and I'm not here to get into any argument with you today, because you're a woman, and I'm a man, and I have no idea, right? <laughs> Just, I'm not even going to try. Now, generally speaking, the top five needs of a man are a little bit more easily known. In fact, we don't even really have to guess what number one is. Right? It's pretty evident that it is sexual fulfillment. Right? Now, there may be men who've passed through that stage of life or have some different things going on, but that's generally speaking number one. Help me out with the other four of those. I got number one for you. Help me out with the number four. What, are, what does a guy need? Right? Besides a bratwurst, you know, and it's up to now. So what's going on? Respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Uh, support, companionship, helpmate, yeah, I like that one, straight from the Bible, this guy, Genesis 2, I like it, anybody else got one, 
Come on. If you're afraid by a dog, step up. Let's go. Everybody else? Time. Okay. All right. Let me give them. These are the five general needs of a man. We already talked about number one. Number two, admiration or respect. Okay. Number three, companionship. Number four, domestic support. Okay. He needs somebody to make his bed. Right? Do his laundry and sort of keep him in line. Domestic support. Number five, this, this one may surprise you. He needs an attractive spouse. Right? He needs an attractive spouse. See, I like, the, I like the interaction we're having here this morning. We're just in church with our homies, right? Just kind of hanging. But listen, what that means is, he needs a woman who still does her best to appear presentable to, to him and uh, to really still be the woman that he married. And, and sometimes it does happen. We understand people change over time. Their bodies change over time. But uh, it's saying he still needs somebody who's trying for those things. So God wants us to get to know each other's needs. God would actually like every couple to be able to sit down with five or ten and say, here are the top needs of my spouse. And in fact, in premarital counseling, the first week, uh, what I always do is uh, you write down, the person you're going to marry, I want you to write down his or her strengths, weaknesses, and needs. And then we cross-check, you write down your own, and we see how many we get right from each other. Okay, and it's always a big one. Now, if you've been married for a while, you should definitely know what your spouse's biggest needs are. God wants us to get to know those things so that we can meet those needs. Marriage is not about self-satisfaction. It is about spouse satisfaction. And when you serve your spouse, you will be much more fulfilled in your relationship than when you make it all about yourself. There are way too many psychologists and counselors, even Christian counselors, who are telling husbands and wives, you need to start thinking about yourself and your satisfaction and your future and what's good for you. That focus is diametrically opposed to God's plan for your marriage. God says you need to start thinking about your spouse and your spouse's satisfaction, and your spouse's future, and what's good for your spouse. And here's the ironic thing. When you stop thinking about yourself so much, you will truly enjoy the relationship. Joy never comes through self-fulfillment. It comes in serving. 1 Peter 3 says it this way. Be heirs together. H-E-I-R-S. Be heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. Marriage is not a competition. It's companionship. It's not withholding affection until your needs are met. It's offering affection without regard to your own needs. Your first ministry is to the people at your own house. And if you don't minister to them, I guarantee that your ministry to everyone else 
will be a fraud. Service starts with your spouse. Don't ignore your spouse's need to run about and meet the needs of other people. Yes, you should have a heart for other people's needs. Not saying that. But you should never use meeting other people's needs as an excuse not to fulfill the person closest to you. In the words of Paul, it's from 1 Corinthians, you are defrauding your spouse. You are stealing from your spouse. When you confide in a guy at work, but you won't confide in your husband, you're stealing from your husband. And you're headed toward an emotional affair. Man, when you'll compliment another woman, but you won't compliment and adore your own wife, you're stealing from your wife. And, and so we have been called to serve strangers. And by the way, when we were talking about serving strangers, everybody was happy-go-lucky in here. When we started talking about serving your spouses, we started on a high, and then it's gotten extremely quiet. Like, I don't know what happened. It's like the air went out of the balloon. And it, we got quieter as we went. So let's come on back. And we're called to serve strangers as well as to serve spouses. And I'm going to let you off the hook. We're moving to number three. Okay, ministry goes even further. This is so important. Serving servants. Serving servants. We are called to minister to those who serve. No matter what context it's in. It could be in the home. It could be in the church. It could be in the government. It could be at your place of business. Look again at Hebrews 13 verse 3. Look at this. Remember them that are in bonds. So those who are in servant, ser, in a servant to the law. Verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves. Ephesians 6 talks about being obedient to our bosses. And then it talks about how bosses are supposed to treat employees. And so we should serve those who serve. We should serve our spouses because they serve us. Talked about that. We should serve our pastors and church leaders as they serve us. We should serve our soldiers and our public servants who are serving us. We should serve our employers and employees who are serving us. You say, well, what if I don't agree with that person? You can still serve them. Right? I know people who have made such an impact for the kingdom of God because they've served people when there was absolutely no reason except the love of Jesus. They have served people who were unkind to them. They've served people who tried to steal their position. They've served people who tried to cut the legs out from under them. And that person has come back and said, why are you so nice to me? After all that I've done to you, why would you be nice to me? It's not me. It's Christ in me. And that testimony through service of another person has made life-changing decisions take place. And I'm telling you, we are called to serve those who serve. And when you serve those who serve, you make a difference in their lives. You know, here's one we sometimes forget about. We are called to serve our brothers and sisters across the world who are in bondage, who are being persecuted and tortured for serving the Savior. 
And I would encourage you to get a publication like Voice of the Martyrs and stay in tune with what's going on across the world. There are nations all over the world where Christians are being persecuted daily. There are parts of India where if they know you're meeting in a house church, they will come in immediately and torture you and even kill you. Uh, there are parts uh, of the world where uh, militant Islam is, is so strong that if you are baptized as a believer, your family disowns you and may put a price on your head. We need to serve those who are in bondage. We need to serve those who serve. And when we do that, we're following Jesus. Instead of worrying about who's going to minister to you, find ways to minister to others. We live in the days of consumer mentality when it comes to the local church. And I'm telling you, people are thinking and asking and saying, well, what does this church have to offer to my family, to my children, and to my education, and to my lifestyle? And it's not wrong to ask those questions if you're willing to become a contributor and to take ownership in the local church and to use your spiritual gifts for God. But if you're just going to sit there and do nothing and just be a consumer Christian who makes it all about your own preferences and needs, then we have a big problem. If we expect pastors and church leaders to do all the ministry in the church, we have completely missed the New Testament model. The problem that many people have of meeting my needs and my wants in marriage extends to their relationship with the church. And they expect the church to meet my needs and my wants without any investment on my part. And that is absurd. We are supposed to function as a spiritual family here. Right? How many of you have more than one kid? More than one kid. Now, can you imagine it? It, it, uh, this happens sometimes in our house. Uh, we have, living at home still, a 17-year-old girl named Autumn, right over here, had her birthday this week. And we have a 4-year-old named Sophie. And uh, this happens in our house. Autumn is a willing servant many times, and she'll empty the dishwasher. But occasionally she'll say to me, why doesn't Sophie have to do it? That's a valid question. And usually what I point out is, well, because she's 4 and because she would break every dish in the dishwasher, right? So when her time comes, she'll get that service role. But right now, she's doing other things, like tormenting the dogs and wreaking havoc on the house. So, um, but, but you know, when you have more than one kid, how you start to get those questions like, well, if I had to clean my room, why didn't he have to clean his room? And if I had to take the garbage out, why didn't he have to take the garbage out? And why is it that two weeks in a row, I had to scoop the dog mess? And she didn't have to. How many of you are an only child living at your house all by yourself? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So you don't have any of this. You spoiled people. <laughs> when it comes to the Christian family, every member is supposed to be a minister. We are called to meet each other's needs and to serve those who serve. And when we do that, when we live out the New Testament, the church, could I tell you, the church is the most powerful need-meeting organism on earth. Better than any charity, better than any parachurch group, certainly better than the government. When the local church gets in gear and becomes the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, like the New Testament says we're supposed to be, we are the most powerful need-meeting organism 
on planet Earth. But so many times we get confused and we get envy involved and we begin to say, well, if they do this down at that church, blah, blah, blah. And then you come to church. If you come here, can I tell you, don't be a spectator. Be a participant. Get down in the arena. And if you see something that, that needs change, if you see the need, take the lead, brother. Step up or sister. Right? Either way. If God shows you something, it's not so that you can critique and complain. It's because he's given you a passion and a heart for that. And the only reason why you see some of those needs is because you have the spiritual gift to meet those needs. Enough said. When we serve servants, the local church is the hope of the world. And, and so we've got these things, let's put them all together. So we're supposed to serve strangers. We're supposed to serve spouses, the people closest to us. We're supposed to serve servants. And I think that the fourth one is hopefully, maybe it's obvious to all of us, serving the Savior. So let's, let's put this all together now. Because we have said from the beginning of our series that we are called to continue in some things. We're called to continue in worship. Worship is offering God our hearts and our lives authentically and daily. The best way to serve God is by serving others. The greatest service that we can offer to Jesus is to have the heart of a servant toward others like he has. I love Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be ministered to but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus had the heart of a servant. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. There is no position that you ever reach in the family of God that rises above the level of servant. Let's say it again. There's no position you ever reach in the family of God that rises above the level of servant. You don't ever arrive to the non-servant level. And if you think you've arrived there, you are no longer functioning as a minister of Jesus. Your sense of entitlement has made it all about you. And when you feel like you no longer need to serve others because you've done enough and you've put in your time and it's about time for somebody else to serve you for a while, you have forgotten, the Bible says, what a rotten sinner you were when Jesus found you and saved you and changed you. And according to 2 Peter 1, you have become blind and you've lost spiritual vision. Christian ministry always points to Jesus. It's always about serving the Savior. It's never about pointing toward me. It's never about serving myself. It's never about seeing what I can get out of it. It's never about leveraging other people to advance me. 
It's always about moving forward people in the kingdom of Jesus. And if I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, then I need to get the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is the heart of a servant, the heart of love. I always enjoy seeing parents who are training their kids from a very young age to be a servant, to serve other people, to help other people, uh, to be there in the path, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, kids are naturally growing up entitled. You don't ever have to teach a kid to be entitled. You don't. You ever been in the nursery before? I went through there one time years ago, and it scared me so bad I just never went back. You know the first word that most kids say in the nursery? Mine. Mine, mine, mine. Kids are naturally entitled. You don't have to hold a seminar to say, okay, we need to get all the two-year-olds together to teach them about selfishness. Hey, we need to get all the kids together to teach these boys and girls how to lie. Now, that kid's been lying since he came out of the womb. He lied the first night when he said, Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, I'm hungry. When all he really wanted was, Mama, hold me. Mama, hold me. He's a liar. She's a liar. She looks like an innocent little baby, but she's a liar. You don't ever have to teach your kid, you know what, kid? I'm going to bring you down to the, uh, the local store here, the pharmacy, the local drugstore, and I'm going to teach you to steal. You don't have to teach them to steal. They steal on their own. You know why? Because in our flesh, we are of our father, the devil. And the less of our father we will do. And you will naturally lie, cheat, steal, and be entitled. We have to teach kids to be servants. We see in our society what happens when we don't teach them that. They grow so entitled that they think everybody owes them everything. They get to be 17 or 18 and they think that the government, the people of the United States, owe them a college education. Right? And that we owe them health care. And that we owe them phones and cars and whatever else it is. That's the entitlement society. And it's because nobody ever grabbed little Johnny and said, little Johnny, come over here. You see that cup on the floor? Pick it up. It's not my cup. Doesn't matter. Learn to serve. You see that older person right there who's coming out of the store struggling with groceries? Go help that person. I don't know her. Serve a stranger. I'll tell you this. If you don't teach your kids to serve, your kids are headed toward miserable relationships their whole life. They're likely headed toward divorce or separation, toward ruin. I'm telling you, it's so important that we, the family of God, come together and we focus on saying, how could we serve? It's so neat when families sit down together and read the Bible and pray and say, how could we serve as a family? Who's a neighbor that we could rake their leaves this year? Who's somebody on the street that we could help some way? How could we honor the police and how could we honor the firemen? How, how could we do things for people and be a blessing to them? 
step up and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, here's today's big truth. And in 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Actually, turn over there for just a minute. You probably know this, but it's good to see it once in a while. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1. Though I speak with the tongues of man and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faiths so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I'll tell you this. Yes, get your mind on service. But no matter what great things you do, if you don't do it in Christ's love, it is worthless. It profits nothing. And in your notes there, you could fill in the blank in your notes with any word you want. And the principle will be the same. Though I sing and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Though I serve and have not charity, though I give and have not charity, though I preach and have not charity, no matter what you do, if you don't do it in the name of Jesus Christ, it's worth nothing. Real ministry happens through real love. Now, maybe you're sitting out there and you're going to ask a very logical question in your mind. You're thinking, okay, what is real love? And I'm glad you asked. I really am because I want to show you. It's right here in 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse number 4. Charity suffereth long. It means it's patient and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It doesn't boast. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. It doth not behave itself unseemly or dishonorably. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil doesn't dwell on the negatives of other people. It bear, uh, rejoiceth not in iniquity. It's grieved for sin in self before it worries about the sin of others. Yet it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things without venting. That The indication there in the Greek when it says beareth all things is the indication of a watertight vessel. A watertight vessel is not venting stuff out all over the place. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. That's charity. And maybe you need charity in some of your relationships. And listen, I know that not every relationship meets the parameters we've talked about today. I know that you can't generalize every relationship. There is legitimate abuse. There are legitimate addictions. There are legitimate problems. But I tell you this, Jesus has the answer for every problem. He really does. And there is no problem outside of his grace. 
There is no problem that exists outside of God's love. And he's got the answer for you. And sometimes the answer is to step up your serving. Step up your serving. And I know there's some of you who say, I served that man for years and years. Or I served that woman for years and years. And it never worked. And that can happen. The Bible talks about that. Ashley talks about unbelieving spouses and spouses who hurt other people. And yet God doesn't want us to lose the heart of a servant. He doesn't want us to get embittered in service. Galatians 6 says, Be not weary in well-doing. Don't wear out your heart of service just because people didn't thank you. Just because people didn't return the favor. Just because people didn't return your kindness. Some of the people I've been kindest to in my whole life, and I'm not known to be the most kind person on earth probably, uh, my demeanor is a little, I don't know, off-putting or prickly sometimes. Uh, my wife, I, I make a joke with her sometimes. I say, uh, people call me friendly, and she just starts laughing. She says, Nobody's ever called you friendly. Um, but, you know, some of the people I've invested the most time, effort, money into have stabbed me in the back the hardest. And that's how life goes. That's how ministry goes. Jesus put three years of investment into Judas, and Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Judas prayed with Peter, and Peter denied that he even knew him three times. Jesus loved James and John, and they argued about which one was going to sit at his right hand in heaven. You can invest in a whole lot of people and be hurt, but that doesn't mean that you should stop investing. God has called us to serve with authentic hearts until Jesus returns. And so I want you to learn this, such this powerful principle of God's word. Start right at your house. Start right at home. Start with the people closest to you. Think about the ways that you can serve. And at today's faith challenge, take time to think about others you can serve through Christ's love this week. Think about people who you can serve at your workplace, in the government, in the church, and then serve them. Be ready to serve strangers. You never know who God will bring into your life and how it will work through you if you're ready to serve, if you're ready to continue in ministry. As we pray today, I want you to do this. You know, sometimes if you'll just sit before God and you'll say, Holy Spirit, would you whisper to me what I need to do next? I believe God will do it. And if you're already doing the things from God's word that he's told you to do, and you say, Spirit, I've submitted to your word, would you give me the name of somebody I could serve this week? I almost guarantee you that if you sit there and you prayerfully say, Spirit, would you give me somebody I could serve this week? God's going to give you a name. God's going to give you a name. And you may take the name and say, oh, I don't want to serve him. 
Can I tell you it's the very person you're supposed to serve? Because if your heart's not right toward that person and you don't have a heart of service toward that person, you're denying the faith. You're not the hands and feet of Jesus. You say, you don't know what she's done to me. You don't know how she backstabbed me. I know this. They backstabbed Jesus a whole lot worse. I know this. My sins put him on the cross. And yours did too. And maybe it's time you ask her what her favorite coffee is and get her one on the way to work tomorrow. Maybe it's time to serve somebody who probably will faint when they find out you serve them. But that's what it takes to step into Jesus' sandals and to walk forward. To continue in ministry is what God wants us to do. Let's bow together. And as we bow... Are you willing? Are you willing to go to God right now? Are you willing to go to God right now and say, God, tell me who I could serve. Tell me how I could do it. And if the Holy Spirit would point that out to you in your heart, if you'd be willing to step forward and do it, then he will continue to show you people you can serve for the rest of your life. But the moment that you walk away from the Spirit and you say, Spirit, I'm not going to do that. I refuse to serve that person. The Spirit won't bother you with that again. God, come down and meet with us in this place right now. God, I don't know many, many, many of the situations attached to the people in this room, but you do. I don't know their cares. I don't know their hurts. I don't know their wounds. I don't know the way that they've been abused spoken of, but you do. And you said that we are to forgive even as Christ forgave us. And I pray right now that you would help us to be able to lay aside the debts that people owe us and the hurts that people have caused us and to go before you right now and say, Spirit of God, would you show me someone I can serve? Show me someone I can serve. A coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a loved one, a stranger. And would you make us into your image and help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ so that we can show forth your kingdom. Lord, help us to serve so then we can explain who our Savior is, and we can shine as lights to the world around us. Father, we sure do love you, and we thank you that we could be here today. Help us to continue in these things and be what you've called us to be. We ask these things in your name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you. Pastor Cole's going to give a couple quick little things, and then we'll get you out of here, okay? Well, as Pastor already mentioned at the beginning of his message, don't forget tonight, 530 we have our volunteer appreciation banquet, and if you serve in any way, any capacity, uh, we would love to have you there. We want to honor you and cast.